Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for difficult parts of it, like the book of Judges, which appear to be filled with such dark stories. But you third, thank you, Lord, that through these dark stories, you want to shine your light. You want to reveal something of yourself to us. You want to shine a light maybe on our sin or maybe on our need of you or maybe on an example to follow or uh, an example to avoid. And so, Lord, we would pray tonight that as we look at this part of the Bible, that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And really the only time I watch rugby is if the Rugby World Cup is on. And I haven't actually seen any of it yet. That's how much I like watching rugby. And it's the same with athletics. I don't watch athletics, but every four years, whenever the Olympics comes around, I just love to watch the athletics. But watching athletics can be so disappointing sometimes. Sometimes you see things happen in the track or field, and and you just get a real sense of disappointment. I remember as a a young boy, Linford Christie, some of you don't know who that is. Linford Christie, he was the great British 100-meter record holder. He was fantastic, Uh, and he was going to run in the the Olympics. And I remember as a boy watching it, and he false started three times, which meant he was disqualified. And I remember as a young kid watching that and kind of thinking, I've waited four years to see Linford Christie win. But yet there was that disappointment. But I think one of the most disappointing times watching kind of running, it's got to be in a relay race when the baton's dropped. Have you ever seen that? There's something just so disappointing about it. The first person has run their leg and they've done so very well. The second person has run their leg and they've done so very well. The third person has run their leg and they've done so very well. And then there's that transition final leg of the race and the baton falls to the ground and it's really sad because in some ways everything that's been before is lost all the effort that's been put in well it's really pointless and it's also sad because it is someone's fault is it the fault of the giver did they not hand it over correctly well maybe or maybe it's the fault of the receiver unwilling to to take it or just unable to grasp it. But it's sad. And it's sad because everyone's affected. If they manage to recover, they don't recover very well and they usually come last. But very often they don't even finish the race. There's something so tragic in the relay when the baton is dropped. And here at the beginning of the book of Judges, this is what we see we see the baton being dropped between the generations. We see the baton of faith falling to the ground between Joshua's generation and the generations that come. And you can see that in verses 6 to 7. After Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord, notice, throughout the lifetime of Joshua, and of the elders who outlived him, and, to, and all who had seen all the great things the Lord had done in Israel. So do you get that? In Joshua's generation, they served the Lord, they worshipped the Lord, they lived for God, and all of the people who'd seen God at work, bringing them into the promised land, they did the same. Then verse 8, we have a funeral. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnaherez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. 
But now listen to verse 10. And in some ways, it's almost difficult to believe this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that means after they had gone to where their ancestors are to be with God, after they'd been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Isn't that staggering? Joshua's generation, they knew the Lord, they served the Lord, they'd seen God at work in their lives, they'd seen him bring them out of Egypt, they'd seen him bring them into the land. And yet here you have a generation later, and verse 10 says that whole generation did not know the Lord, nor what he had done for Israel. It's shocking, isn't it? It's surprising, isn't it? It's not what we expect to read here. Let that sink in. The generation after Joshua did not know the Lord as Joshua and his generation did. They didn't have the faith that they had. The baton has been dropped. They didn't know the Lord. That's the first thing we see. Now, what does that mean, they didn't know the Lord? Well, it could mean two things or it could mean both things. The two things it could mean was it means they might not have known about God. They might not have actually been known about his character, what he was like. And we see that later in the book of Judges, don't we? We see that judge who who lets his daughter be sacrificed because he's no idea about the character of God. He's no idea about what God loves and hates. He's no idea about what God is for and against. And it seems that maybe the next generation, they didn't know about God, didn't know his character, didn't know his commands, didn't know his ways. Maybe that's what it means. Or maybe whenever the passage says they didn't know the Lord, maybe they didn't know him in a real way. Maybe they didn't know him in a personal way. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? With Joshua and his generation, they had seen God at work. They knew him in a real, personal, intimate way. They'd seen God pull down the walls of Jericho when they blew trumpets. They had an experience of God. They knew him experientially. What does it mean when this next generation didn't know the Lord? Well, it could mean they didn't know about him, his character, his ways. It could mean they didn't know him by experience. They didn't have this real, living, active relationship with him. Or maybe it meant both. Maybe it meant that they didn't know either. Maybe it meant they didn't know him or really know about him. Now, maybe you find that hard to believe. Okay, Marty, I see it saying they didn't know the Lord. But come on, how is that possible? How is it possible that they didn't know the Lord? How is it possible they didn't know his commands? How is it possible they didn't know about his character? How is this possible? Let me tell you, as a parent, as a parent who's a follower of Jesus, I can see how this is possible. Because you see, in the everyday of life, my children know that I love Jesus. They know I follow Jesus. They know that I believe in God. They know that I think God is important. But it would be so easy for me to to just live my life in front of them and just assume that, that they will know what I know one day. To just assume that they will pick up my faith one day. To just assume that, that they'll somehow pick up on what God is like and what his commands are. I know as a parent, I find it really easy. I could find it really easy to never actually tell my children very much about God. Easy just to assume they'll pick it up. 
easy just to assume they'll get it. Easy just to assume that my experience will be their experience, that what I've experienced of God, they'll experience too. Really easy for me to do that. Can you see how it could have been easy for anyone to do that? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and and you actually can relate to that. It's the easiest thing in the world to do, isn't it? Just to, to assume that our kids will understand, to assume that our kids will know, to assume that our kids will somehow work out what God is like. It's really interesting in the book of Deuteronomy. I put the passage on for you on the other side of the sheet, but one of the things, whenever they're, they're, they're about to enter the land and God is telling them what they're to do whenever they get in, one of the key things that he says is that they're to pass the faith on to their children, that they're to teach their children about God. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 6-9. And these words... And these words that I command you today, so he's just told them what to live, how to live in the land. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as a, as a, as a, a frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. But you see verse 7. God says to his people as they're about to go into the land, listen, your job is to diligently teach your children my ways. Your job is to pass on the baton. Whenever you're going about your everyday life, when you're in your house, when you're going for a walk, when you're in the car, whatever you're doing, I want you to be constantly teaching your children about me and about my ways. And it seems they hadn't. That could be one reason the baton was dropped. Maybe like so often, so many of the commands that God gives his people, maybe this was one that they they just failed to follow through on. Not intentional, not on purpose, but maybe in the busyness of life, the busyness of taking the land, the busyness of getting settled, the busyness of building cities, the busyness of building their own homes. Maybe they just never really got round to diligently teaching their children about him. And it also seems that this generation didn't actually talk about what God was doing in real life. It's interesting, isn't it? Have a look at the passage again. They neither knew the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. It's like they didn't know about God, okay, we get that, but they also didn't know what God was doing. They didn't know what God had done in the lives of his people. They didn't know what God had actually done for them. And again, maybe you're sitting here thinking, Marty, how is that possible? How could they not have kind of told them all of the exciting things that God had done for them? How could they not have shared this with their children or their grandchildren? How could they not have kind of talked about their experience of God? But again, as a parent who stands before you here today, I can tell you my feelings. It can be really difficult to actually tell my kids about what God is doing in my life, what he's done. If I'm telling my kids about God, sometimes it feels like I'm telling them just some abstract thoughts. I'm telling them Bible truth, it's good. I'm reading the Bible with them, it's good. With with Joshua, it's good. But sometimes I worry that Joshua is going to think that God is just like Santa Claus. 
some kind of fictional character who's up in the sky, distant. Because I find it really hard to, to even articulate what God's doing in my life and the reality that God is in my life. And maybe that has been the experience here. They believed in God. They've lived for God. They've served God. God has done stuff in their lives in very amazing ways. But maybe they failed to articulate that. And so the next generation, while they go to the, the worship stuff, while they do the ceremonies, while they know that their parents think God's important, while they respect God and all of that stuff, maybe his reality has just escaped them. Maybe for them, it's like God is a fairy tale or a Santa Claus. Someone who's nice to believe in. But someone who's not real to real life. The baton has been dropped. And maybe the fault is on the part of the older generation. Maybe it is. But maybe it's also the fault of this new generation. You see, because this new generation, what you're going to see is that they want the idols of the world around them. They see the attractiveness of the Canaanite gods. They see these gods and how the Canaanites worship them. And, and just, I know this sounds a bit kind of strange, but to worship the Canaanite gods was a lot more fun than worshiping the God of Israel. The Canaanite gods were fertility gods. To worship them, you saw prostitutes and you engaged in revelry and you engaged in drunkenness. You engaged in immorality. And maybe as the the next generation, maybe they were hearing about God from that generation, but maybe as they looked at the gods around them and, and they met their Canaanite friends and they saw how their Canaanite friends were living, maybe the baton was dropped because they saw the baton being handed to them and they said, no thanks. We're going to run a different race. We're going to go after different gods. We're going to live differently from you and your generation. Maybe it was both. Maybe it was the perfect storm. Maybe there was failure on the part of one generation to pass it on. And at the same time, maybe the hearts and the minds of this new generation just wanted the gods around them. But this is a sad picture, isn't it? It's a sad picture in the book of Judges chapter 2. Because the baton has been dropped. It's not been passed on. And if it has been passed on, it's not been received because the new generation are running after idols. But boy, does that sound familiar, doesn't it? This happened 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago this happened. And yet what you will see throughout the history of the of God's people and throughout the history of the church and throughout the history of the world, this has been the pattern that's been going on forever. God, it seems, works in one generation. He does magnificent things. And, and they love him and they follow him and they serve him. And then it goes to pass it on to the next generation. They maybe assume what their fathers have, have told them and they maybe take it on to some degree, but it's not the same. And then by the third generation, it's like the baton has been dropped. 
It's like they, they, they've just left God altogether and they're going and serving idols. And my guess is, looking at you tonight, there are some of you here and, and your parents were strong, strong Christians. And they passed it on to you. And maybe you've tried your best to pass it on to the next generation. But my guess is that there's some of you here tonight and what you have seen is that baton has not been received by the next generation. Maybe you've got children here tonight who are far from God even though you did your very best to pass the faith on to them. Maybe you're here tonight and you passed the faith on to your kids so well but what you've seen is that they've not passed it on to their kids. So you've got grandkids tonight who are far from God and don't know anything about him, don't know his ways, don't know his commands, don't have any experience of him. That's because this is the pattern that we see over and over and over again. Now I could finish there and we could be all very depressed and leave thinking, well, that was a sermon full of absolute hopelessness. But it's never hopeless. You see, because what God does here, what he does next here, he does time and time again throughout the history of the church and throughout the generations. Because what God does next, after that these people have rebelled, after it hasn't been passed on, after they've gone after idols, God works in such a way to draw them back. He works in such a way to draw them back. And how does he do that? Well, it's not particularly pleasant. But he makes life really hard for this generation who've gone after idols. He makes life difficult for them. So difficult, in fact, that they have to turn back to him. So difficult, in fact, that they have no way of escaping the situation they're in without actually repenting and turning and seeking God. God, if you like, takes them on a very, very difficult road back to himself. Again, you can see it. Can you have a look at verse 12? So we're told, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. And then look at verse 14. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. So here they are, these people who've turned from him. And what does God let happen? He lets raiders come into their town. He lets their villages be attacked. What else? He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them, whom they were no longer able to resist. So then some of them are sold to these enemies. They're taken as captives. They're taken as slaves. It's difficult. Verse 15, what else does he do? When Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. They didn't win any battles having forsaken the Lord, just as he sworn to them. And how does he sum it up? At the end of verse 15, they were in distress. He brings them to a point of distress. Now, we don't see it here, but we see it in the rest of the book. Whenever they come to this point of distress, we're going to see it over and over again. They cry out to God. Even though they've turned from him in their distress, they turn and they cry to him. And they cry to him for help. They cry to him for deliverance. They cry to him to bring them out of the difficulty that they're facing. And here's what's brilliant. God actually helps them. He actually helps them. I don't know if you've ever been in work 
and um, you've kind of seen, you know, someone one day needing help. And the person who needs the help, you know, they said, listen, or, you see someone who needs help, okay? And they go to someone and say, listen, will you help me? And what that person is, is, no, I will not help you. So what they do, like the Israelites, like they turn from that person. They say, no, I'm not helping you. I don't want you. I've got my own stuff to do here. I'm turning from you. I, I don't, I'm not helping you. Okay, so you've seen that happen. And then what happens is a couple of weeks later, the roles are reversed. And that person who, who had turned away from this person who needed help, suddenly they need help. And so they turn to that person and say, excuse me, listen, I know that I was rude to you the other day. I, I know that, that I was pretty mean to you. I know that, you know, I treated you badly. But listen, I could really do with your help now. And what does that person do? They go, well, there's no chance of it. No, I'm not helping you. That's the natural way, isn't it? Whenever someone hurts us and harms us and turns from us, we don't help them. We let them suffer. We let them experience the full consequences of their actions. But not God. Time and time and time and time again, when the people cry for help in kindness and mercy and love, he helps them. I think there's a parallel here in the New Testament. We see the prodigal son, don't we? Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. I'm never going to see you again. Thanks. He turns his back on the father, doesn't he? And, he? and he goes off into the foreign land. And he spends all the money and he has a brilliant time. But what happens? He ends up in a very difficult, dark place. He ends up on his knees in a, a pigsty eating the pods that the pigs are eating. The Lord brings him on this path of difficulty and hardship where he's no one to help him and no way out of the situation he's in. And so what does he do? Well, he turns back to the father. He goes to the only place he can go. He goes not really expecting very much. I'm going to go back here and, and maybe he'll let me be one of his servants. The son goes home, the father runs, and, and the father's been looking out for him, and the father embraces him. And the father brings him in again as a son, and the father throws a huge party. It's wonderful. And folks, what I want you to know is that if you have these friends or family members who have, have just been lost in some way, turned from God, turned after idols, not living for him, totally away from him, the Lord can bring them back. And he might do it through a very difficult road. As you watch your kids, as you watch your grandkids, you might be having a heartbreaking time for them. But what I want to encourage you is that this might just be the very thing the Lord is doing in their life to bring them back. There's a hope. We see this pattern throughout the history of the church. We see it in individual congregations. We see it in families. We see it throughout the history of the church. The baton gets dropped, but the Lord is always at work to bring people back. Always at work to draw people back to himself. Now in Judges, they turn away again, and we're going to see that happen over and over again. But again, it's another reminder that there's more than one chance with God. 
as we found out this morning, his mercies are new every morning. Over and over again, he accepts his people when they return to him. As I finish, I just want to think about the difference this passage or, or this idea should make in our lives. And the first one is this. We've got to recognize tonight that our job is to pass on the baton. Our job is to pass on the faith that we have to the next generation. If you're a parent here tonight um, with, with young kids, I know Peter is and, and I am, and some of you have got other kids who are maybe a little bit older, but if you're a parent here tonight and you've children who still listen to you, and children who you can shape, and children who you can mold, and children who you can encourage, I want to encourage you tonight to take the opportunity while they're young to pass the faith on to them. Read them the stories. Tell them about God. Talk to them as you drive the car, as you go about the place. Bring God into the conversation. Help them see that God is real in your life, that he's important to you. Help them get that he makes a difference to you. Every day, I try my best to put that on my radar. And sometimes it leads just to brilliant conversations with Joshua. He's got a million questions. But I'm really hopeful that by doing this, I'll be able to impart my faith to him. And I want to encourage you, if you're a parent tonight, to do that. And you see, if you're a grandparent here tonight, do you know what's brilliant? <laughs> this sounds bad, so apologies. But you see, if you're old... That sounds terrible. You see, if you're old, you can get away with saying whatever you want. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you see old people, old people can say anything and get away with it. Honestly, you, you could say whatever you wanted and people would go, well, they're older, so they can say that. And I know that that sounds a bit strange, but, but I want you to know it's true. And I want you to know it's true to your advantage. You can tell your grandkids about Jesus. and Nobody's going to stop you. You can tell them what God has done in your life and nobody is going to stop you. You can share the gospel with them and nobody is going to stop you. Do you know why? Because old people can say what they like. It really is true. All the young people here going, it's really true. You should hear what my granny said to me. and you should hear. Honestly, it's true. But take advantage of that. Please take advantage of that. Maybe you've got those grandchildren and they know nothing. Tell them the stories of how God's been at work in your life. Tell them how you came to faith. Tell them the things God has done. And what's really interesting is that you'll actually find they're interested. To hear about your life, they're interested in you. They love you. I think that's one of the things I think that older people don't recognize is that younger people want to hear your stories. They actually do. They want to hear about your lives. Older people have this crazy idea that young people are not interested. They are. We want to hear from you. We want to know. I'm saying we. I'm, I'm not really young, but you know what I mean. But, <laughs> but in all seriousness, that idea that, that younger people don't want to know about your life is complete nonsense. They do. You have the freedom to tell them. And I want to encourage you to take that opportunity got those grandchildren, go and talk to them and tell them your stories and be bold and be brave because you can say whatever you want and nobody's going to stop you. Use that freedom that you have. Pass on your head knowledge, what you know about God. Pass on your heart knowledge, what you've experienced of God. Pass on what God has done in your life and what he's doing even now. Do that. And maybe you're here this evening and I'm thinking of some of the students 
And the fact you're here means that, that, that there's something of a faith within you. People in their 20s don't come to church anymore unless they really believe something about God. But maybe as you listen to this, you recognize that actually, maybe you've actually just inherited your parents' faith without it really becoming your own. Maybe you're here tonight because it's a thing to do. Maybe you're here tonight because, well, you think it's important to be at church. Because you've inherited some of that religion that's been passed on to you. But maybe as you sit here tonight, you don't actually feel that your faith is yours. Well, I want to encourage you to make it yours. I want to encourage you that those things that weren't passed on to you, those things you don't know about God, go and find them out about him. Go and start to talk to him. Go and start to have a relationship with him. Make sure that you're gripping the baton just now. Make sure that you're going to have it as an adult, as a, as a father to pass on or a mother to the next generation. Make your faith your own. And all of us here tonight, let's pray. Let's pray that the next generation will take the baton we hand to them. And as I look around the Northern Ireland today, as I look around the churches, there's actually a generation missing. In fact, there's a number of generations missing. We're so blessed to have all these kids, but I can tell you of churches who have two. I can tell you of churches who've got none. We're blessed here tonight to have some students with us. We're blessed as a congregation to have some people in their 20s. I can tell you of some churches that have none. We're blessed to have some 30s. I can tell you of churches that have none. There are some churches and, and all they've got are kind of the over 60s and nothing else. And see, what I think has happened is that the baton has actually been dropped altogether. On the whole, the baton is no longer being held by anybody. And so what I want to encourage you to pray for tonight is that God raises up a new generation. That God, if you like, picks up the baton and gives it to a generation who never had it before. That God reveals himself afresh to people who have no idea about him just now. Let's pray that God does such amazing work that in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, the church will be growing as the faith is passed on. Let's pray together. Father, we're all here tonight in different situations because we're in different generations. But Lord, all of us have that responsibility, even now, to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. Lord, I pray that you give us boldness to do that. Give us wisdom on how to do that. Give us encouragement to do that. Lord, help us to keep that as one of the things at the forefront of our mind. That our job is not just to enjoy you and know you and keep it all to yourself, but to pass it on to our children and our grandchildren and even our great-grandchildren. Lord, tonight I pray for those who are older and have grandchildren who don't know you. Give them boldness just to talk about you, just to talk about the things that you've done in their life. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who are parents here, give us the, the boldness to, to share with our children who you are and what you've done in our lives. And Lord, for these precious students who are with us tonight, no doubt, Lord, they are tempted by the idols around them. No doubt, Lord, they're tempted by 
the way culture is going far from you. But Lord, may they experience you in such a way that they will know the reality of your existence, that they'll know the reality of your power, and that they will not only live for you in this generation, but will pass the baton on to the next. Lord, thank you that the baton was passed to us. Oh Lord, help us not to drop it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.